you all know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and we at Chai Time have dedicated this month to discussing the importance of mental health, raising awareness, breaking the stigmas, and educating ourselves on ways to support those experiencing mental health challenges. Joining me this morning are my guests, Dr. Michelle Durham, and our dear friend, Matab Moradi, who needs no introduction at all. <laughs> and today we are going to talk about mental health, and um, we have been doing this for uh, this month now, right? And Matab, you've been here last week too, and we touched on children's mental health, mental well-being as well. So um, so let's begin with uh, introducing uh, Dr. Durham. Good morning, Good morning. I'm really happy to be here with you all today. Yes, happy to have you here on Chai Time. So, Dr. Durham, would you share with our listeners your role in uh, Ibn Sina Foundation? Sure. Um, Ibn Sina Foundation has been in existence for over 20 years here in Houston. Um, essentially started with one part-time staff member over 20 years ago um, because they saw the need for people that didn't have insurance or mm -hmm. were underinsured to get the care they needed. Um, and so from that, it's grown into over 90 people as a part of the organization with over six clinical sites that have been primarily primary care focus, which means, you know, you go to your doctor, you have a pain somewhere or a headache, and, and they are serving anyone that walks through the door. Um, they have a strong commitment and mission to the fact that everyone deserves health care. Um, and I applaud that. In about four months, I decided to join the organization. I'm originally from Louisiana, but had been living in Boston for about 13 years in a real academic setting. So I've, I've moved on, um, and now I'm in a very community-based setting where they're really thinking about um, how do we engage people in the community and thinking more about their physical health, but also now with this new sort of mission of thinking about it from a mental health standpoint, too. So I've been hired as um, what they ca we're calling a chief behavioral health officer. And what that ex means is essentially building and expanding their mental health services across their six clinical sites. Um, and so we do have some part-time staff that was there prior to my arrival, but we plan on building on that. Um, I'm an adult and child trained psychiatrist with an additional certification in addiction medicine. Um, and I think all of those sort of certifications for me really think about how do I care for the whole person that walks through the door and not a piece of them. Um, that's what sort of drove me to be a child psychiatrist and drove me to do my addiction boards because people come in with lots of different things. And I think it's quite unfair that as a society, we have decided that you have to go to multiple different people to help each thing instead of really focusing on the individual in front of you. So with that and that sort of core value of mine, I'm helping and hopefully hopefully um, will extend this to the rest of our staff too as we start building our staff over the next year to two, three, four, five years to really build our services so mm -hmm. that anybody who walks through the door, just like they were doing for physical health, can get mental health care as well. Wow, that's wonderful. And how did you get involved then, Matab? Well, I had the privilege of meeting Michelle um, with the Interfaith Roundtable because we at, at Rupani Foundation and Ibn Sina were kind of sister organizations and we oh, were okay. trying to really highlight um, mental health awareness and community outreach uh, in, in Houston and kind of bump Texas from being one of the last states for mental health and doing some pretty progressive um, 
actions and programming. So I'm super excited about um, having Michelle on the team and leading the way because that is something that's, you know, that mental health does not need to be compartmentalized. <laughs> it, yeah. You know, I know in other things, it, compartmentalization is helpful, but not in mental health. <laughs> and my background in inpatient work I've always had a competent psychiatrist on my team, what we used to refer to as a treatment team. Mm -hmm. And, um, you, you know, you gotta be in communication with the person who gives you your medication and the person who does your talk therapy. And in my old setting, it was a school setting. So we had our teachers, our nurses, everybody. It was almost like a, a, um, a team of, parents <laughs> it's for that child to overcome all these obstacles that they faced and we did the you know comorbidities or multi-access diagnosis it's you know one thing people never realize is that when you get to her level of treating mental illness it's never just one diagnosis sometimes it's you know something on access one sometimes it's addiction sometimes it's you know, access to, which is personality disorder. So to have her um, in, in that critical role is really special. And then the child background is even better because <laughs> you have to understand people in the whole lifespan, right? Yeah. yeah. Wow. So what did you ask me? That's how I met her. <laughs> this is why I should have gotten ADD diagnosed. <laughs> If there was a clinic like that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's wonderful to see how, you know, you connect with people and then, you know, somehow it moves forward to different things. And then now you're, you know, with, from one organization now, you know, you're involved in another one, but somehow they work together and for the same cause. So that's, mm -hmm. yeah, so that's, uh, that's wonderful. Now, so of course, we are talking about mental health, and we just want to like touch on uh, different kind, different types of, uh, you know, the mental health issues that people kind of have. And uh, we, we don't know sometimes, right, we go through mood, uh, mood disorders, or we go to anxiety, what are those like, we don't even, uh, we don't realize sometimes it's just, it happens to us and this uh, this uh, uneasy feeling, right? So if you can explain mm -hmm. some of those um, types, mental health, uh, mental illness. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm happy to start with maybe a more broad, uh, you know, explanation, which is that we all deserve to be mentally healthy, right? And right. Um, I think you know, probably social media and media, you know, thinks of the worst of the worst, right? Sometimes when thinking about mental illness, and I think of the field of psychiatry, the field I'm in, it's highly stigmatized. Uh, people get very scared of coming to see a psychiatrist. Um, you know, it's 2023. And I definitely saw people come that kind of a forced in some way, probably the school or someone else is like, you gotta go. And they walk in. And the first thing they say is like, I'm not crazy. Mm -hmm. And that happens like today, right? And so that's unfortunate that we are living in an age where people think you go and see a psychiatrist, that you must be crazy, that you are going to get locked up, that someone's going to force you into a mental facility where you can't leave, um, that someone's going to like restrain you, meaning put you down in some way or give you what we see on TV as sort of that shock treatment. 
And I have to say, all of those things are not true. Um, and, and I'm on this like, right? Right? Like I'm on this mission to sort of demystify what treatment is. Because I think media has done us a disservice as a field. And so we now have decades, unfortunately, to undo for those of us that are in the mental health profession. Because nine times out of 10, you're going to walk into a mental health professional's room and all they want to do is talk to you. They want to know what's your story, what brought you in, why now? Because sometimes people will say 10, mm-hmm. 10 years, five years, like lengths of time. I'm a child psychiatrist, and there is we know that most kids will say, I knew at 12 and 13 years old that something wasn't right. And the delay in treatment is 8 to 10 years. That's a fact, proven. So we don't meet them till they're 23, 24 out of their parents' house or their caregiver's house or, you know, outside of that. And they're finally like, I got to do something. But there is an eight to 10 year gap. So what other place in your physical health would you do that? Would you wait 10 years? You Most of us see something, we see something or something happens to us physically. And the immediate thing is like, let me go to the doctor. Yes. Let me get this checked out. Um, but not in mental health. We wait eight to 10 years. That's scary. And, you know, I there, I could go on and on. I'm sure we could all go on and on about the fact that if you're so, so depressed, maybe so anxious, you're not living your full life, how does that then affect your relationships? Um, how you, you're academic, like, do you finish high school? Maybe you finish high school and you're like, I don't think I'm good enough. I don't go to college. So all the different effects I can have when you don't treat your 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 mental health, like your mental health, you're not healthy. And you're not healthy in all ways. So it's not just about physical, but it is as well about mental. And so how do we just bridge that gap, I think is a big thing that we need to do. Probably in my in our field, we're trying to do it as much as we can. Um, but how do we get that out that message and things like this, which I'm happy to be a part of today helps to get that message out. That what happens when you come into a room, whether it's a psychiatrist, so I'll explain a little bit about that. Like mm-hmm. I, you know, went to medical school just like other physicians. So you think about your OBGYN or, you know, the person that delivered your baby, right? Your primary care doc that you see. We all actually went to medical school together. And then at some point we each had to then decide what is it that we want to do. And so beyond the four years and I said, I want to do psychiatry, whereas your person that delivered your baby said, I want to go into OBGYN. But we all did those four years together in medical school. Um, and then I went into residency and residency for psychiatry is another four years of training. And that's just a broad overview of everything in psychiatry. We work in different systems, meaning outpatients, a, a clinic setting. We also work in hospital systems. Um, some of us may to go, go to homeless shelters actually and provide treatment. So it's a big range of things that we do in our four years of training, depending on where in the U.S. you train. And then I decided, so most psychiatrists who practice adult work, that's it. They finish and they go off and they decide to practice somewhere, right? Um, I mentioned that I'm a child psychiatrist, so that means I had to do an additional two years. And that's considered a fellowship. More intensive training around thinking about children and how they develop. Um, and I like to say if you're an adult psychiatrist, you really then have not gotten enough work done because you really should be all child trained too, because it really talks about development and how we all experience childhood. So whether I'm working with an adult or not, what happens in childhood affects you for the rest of your life, your relationship with your parents, how you were in school, how you formed relationships, um, all of those things interact with each other. 
Um, so that so that's a psychiatrist. We typically um, we prescribe medicine because we went to medical school, so we have the ability to do that. Um, and then there are some of us that still decide to do therapy. And so you'll see more of those people or the people that we consider in private practice. Um, a lot of people that you'll see in like private practice on their own, many of them will do therapy as well. Um, when, and I'm in a clinical setting or a hospital setting, sometimes our time is limited. So we don't get to do that as much. But that is typically what psychiatrists get to do versus someone like a psychologist. So someone that has the PhD behind their name, or sometimes you'll see PSYD, PsyD behind their name. So psychologists um, are trained. They don't prescribe medicine. They go, don't go to medical school, but they went to grad school and they get a lot of um, understanding around how to assess people for a mental health issue and a, an array of therapy they can do for mental health issues, many different types of therapies. And they're actually also more research inclined. So lots of studies and thinking about um, assessments and tools you can use to further make sure you have the right diagnosis. And last but not least for psychologists, they often can off, not all of them, but some of them actually do specialize in doing what we call psychological testing. Um, and so you can think of that as maybe a kid who's really struggling in school. People don't really understand what's going on and you actually want them to do more of a formal, it's like a test. Okay. So the psychologist will sit with them and do a lot of different what we call assessment. So sort of like questionnaires, they'll ask them lots of things. Yeah, it takes hours to do and it can be quite expensive. Um, but there are psychologists trained to do that. Um, and then I think the other bucket, if you will, of mental health professionals are what we call, you'll hear uh, people say therapists or counselors are not necessarily calling them psychologists, but those are people who have a master's degree. Um, and so those are your um, licensed professional counselors or licensed clinical social workers or licensed marriage and family therapists. So there's a huge array, um, but they have a master's program and they have to do so many clinical hours with a supervisor to make sure that they're they're 3, good. 3,000 hours. <laughs> so a lot She's of hours um, to make sure that they're ready to do therapy on their own, you know, whatever they decide to practice. Or I did my my 3,000 hours and did my board. Yeah. And I did a, a fellowship in behavioral medicine where I went back to like UTMB and trained with family um Residents. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. That was a because I wanted to understand the medical, the medication side. Right. Because once I got all those hours done, I'm like, oh my gosh, all these people are taking some sort of medication, and I'm feeling very like inadequate right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Um, I, they just continued my um, so I, like you did the two year, mm -hmm. and so I feel like having done that fellowship, I feel very comfortable in like, and it, that's why I got hired in an inpatient setting. Otherwise, I probably would have been more like outpatient or maybe community counseling. Yeah. Yeah. Which brings me to think about like psychiatrists in particular, really, there are plenty of times people may come in and we're really thinking about the physical aspects. So there are things that can present from a mental health standpoint. So low mood, feeling depressed and sad, um, that we would want to get lab work to check out to make sure that it's not a thyroid issue, 
That's a big example. Like it happens often that your thyroid could be the thing making you feel that way. And we actually want to treat your thyroid and I don't want to put you on an antidepressant. Mm -hmm. So that's the nice thing I think about being a psychiatrist that we're really thinking about both the medical and physical aspects as well as the mental health. And we saw, we kind of calling that we're going to rule out all the physical things that could present the way you're presenting to me, mm. like psychosis. So people hearing and seeing things that other people in the room can't hear or see, that could be a medical issue. Um, something maybe impacting your brain. Maybe there's like a tumor. There's something there. So sometimes we do scans first before deciding, oh, yeah, we're labeling you and saying that you have something right. when it's just like we really need someone, we need a, a brain surgeon, we need yeah. a neurosurgeon, and we need... So we do a lot of those labs and other procedures first to make sure that we're not missing anything before we go the route of like this, it only can be explained by something like a mental illness. Hmm. Um, and you had sort of asked, like, how do we think about mental... You know, there are a lot of different mental illnesses. I think across the board, we all, we have like a, a book um, that we use called the DSM um, that helps guide how we think about when does someone meet the level of having a disorder. And I'll say across all of them, I think the biggest thing that we all have to remember to look at is that how is it impacting the way you're functioning? And, you know, your, your baseline. So we're four of us in the room right now. We each go about our day in different ways. That's a, each one of us has a, probably a different baseline of how we interact with others and what we do and how we get to work and interact with our family and friends. But when you start having this this thing in your life, whether it be like, oh, well, I'm not sleeping that great. I'm not eating the same. That might be very different. Maybe you've always eaten one meal a day and that's normal for you. But I've eaten three and now all of a sudden I like barely want to eat. Maybe now I'm at the one. That's very different. So I'm thinking about it. And your friends and family around you may also be noticing things too. Hey, you're not coming out with us as much. Yeah. You know, your partner may be like, I, you're in bed a lot more. I used to see you out and about making plans with your friends and doing other things. And so that's what I mean with change in functioning. There's some change in you and the way you are interacting with your family and the world around you. And at that point, we would want you hopefully to catch it before it gets so bad where maybe you're not, you're starting to miss a lot of work where you're laying in bed all the time, where you're really not engaged in anything anymore. Um, we hope you would start thinking about it way before that to get engaged with a therapist, start talking through things, figuring those things out. And then there's a line that maybe you and your therapist figure out like, you know, I've done this for a couple months maybe, and it's not, I think I need something else. More, yeah. I need something more because I'm, I feel a bit better, but I'm not even like halfway better, right? Um, and that's typically when psychiatrists will come in. You know, we, we, I, I'm a big proponent of therapy. I think therapy is excellent. Um, and often some people sometimes come to me first and haven't even engaged in therapy. And I'm like, I really want you to do both. Like, I'm fine. Like, fine. Like, it sounds really bad. Let's prescribe something, but I really want you to just be with a therapist too. Um, more times than not, I want, I'm like prescribing both, if you will, like, please, let's find you a therapist. And sometimes that's because, it, you know, sometimes we get stuck in a problem because of the way we look at a problem. So when we talk about CBT, we've talked about cognitive yes. behavioral therapy, you can have medication on board, but you get to a place in your treatment where you reach or go past the therape therapeutic dose and you're going to need more and more of the same medication. But if you haven't learned how to think differently, 
mm-hmm. around your problems or your relationships, then you're just going to be in this kind of lifelong journey on taking even more meds. It's like anything else. It's like people who want to, you know, get in a bikini and go to the beach mm-hmm. and cheat, t- take diet pills right. versus if you change your lifestyle, if you change the way you eat, then you don't have to go through that, Correct. you know, cycle. So I think um, even when you're when you do the counseling or the talk therapy side, you always want to have that out there that at some point we're going to try all these different things. And it may be that you're you have genetic loading. Maybe you're you've got five generations of depression and anxiety and we may get to a point where we need something on board. I kind of want you to talk about, because um, a lot of people come to me and say, am I going to get addicted? Will I get, will I be hooked? Um, so maybe the fast acting, slow acting, like SSRI, like kind of, I want some wisdom from you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm going to make a lot of, you know, global, so big statements, because it's hard unless somebody is in front of you and, and we know what we're going to prescribe. So most of our medicines are not addictive at all. And that's probably the big thing that people come into the office very concerned about, like, am I going to be addicted? The answer is no. Um, there, are, there are a couple of types of medicines that, yes, that we're very careful with prescribing, and we actually don't prescribe that much because we are worried about that. But it's also based on looking at someone's history and someone's family history. So you mentioned there's five generations of anxiety or five. Gen- well, substance use, right, is also something that can be highly, it's highly genetic as well. So dad was an alcoholic. Dad's dad was an alcoholic. There's someone, there's aunts in the family that, and then this person that's in front of me is, has been drinking to sort of cope with different things. I might be worried then about prescribing that person medicine, that particular class of medicine that I know can be addictive. Cause I don't want to add something else that they could, that they, a new problem to the list already. But Let's talk about what's common is common. And so depression and anxiety are very common. Most people um, in their lifetime might, um, unfortunately, suffer from depression and or anxiety. Um, And those medicines, unfortunately, or like even if you come in with just anxiety, the class of medicine is called antidepressants. Correct. And so they were just named that, but they actually help one or the other or both. Um, you make people nice. <laughs> Happy yet <and> nice. <laughs> right. Um, and less anxious and able to explore the world. Um, and so those medicines in particular are not addictive by any na- not any yeah. nature. And, right? and that's like the thing I we prescribe often in primary care doctors, psychiatrists, you'll, you know, because a lot of people, unfortunately, are dealing with depression and or anxiety. But those meds are not addictive. I think what um, the difficulty in our field, and and I'll say, is that we don't know which one is going to be right for you. And so right. that makes it hard. And I real, and that makes it hard for the person sitting in front of me. And I'm like, I can tell you about them and I, I'm going to recommend one. And this may not be the, the one for you, but we don't know until we try. Correct. And so sometimes it takes two or three tries. Sometimes we get it on the first try um, to figure out which one you know, the way you break down medicine in your body and all the things that I just can't predict. Um, and unfortunately, there's nothing that can help us predict that. That's the hard part, I think, about the work, because people also want it to happen quickly. Yes. And this type of medicine, if we're talking about medicine for depression and anxiety, 
it doesn't happen quickly either. Sometimes right. it takes like six to eight weeks to see any type of effect. Yeah. yeah um, but so sometimes pa- that happens with blood pressure. I mean, I have family right. members yeah. that try two or three. Right. 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 And so we get a bad rap a bit, but like, uh, <laughs> right, we're constantly getting a bad rap. I'm um, to back you up. <laughs> thank you. Um, I'm sorry, Dr. Drew, yeah. but we have to go on a short break. We're having, we're having a really great conversation and time goes by fast. So let's go on a short break. And when we return, we will continue our conversation. This is Chai Time. Welcome back to Chai Time on 99.5 FM. We are in conversation with Dr. Durham and Matav, and we have a wonderful guest here. From Nami. Great. I wanted to join in. Hello. Good morning. How are you doing I'm today? Doing wonderful. I'm meeting you for the first time, well, but I love the vibe going on It's a on pleasure. Here. It's a pleasure. Listen, it's walk week. So yes, yes. I'm carrying that, that energy all the way through Saturday. All right. So, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about uh, the Well, walk. this May is Mental Health Month. Right. And as a part of Mental Health Month, our NAMI affiliate has a, uh, a walk, an annual walk every year to raise awareness and really show support mm-hmm. for all of the families and individuals impacted by mental illness. We have a huge, uh, it's a fundraising event. However, it's a, it's a weird kind of fundraiser event. We have sponsors that donate to the walk, okay. but the walkers come at no cost. So we want as many people to show up and... And show our supporters how much we appreciate appreciate their embrace on that day. We anticipate anywhere between 2,500 and 3,000 walkers. We've been endorsed, if you will, blessed by the Houston Astros Foundation. So they are sending orbit. Uh, first baseman Jose Abreu is cutting the ribbon. I didn't know they had cheerleaders, but the cheerleaders are coming. Oh, and wow. the street dancers are coming with a lot of swag. So if you want a lot of swag, it's, it's going to be a party. <laughs> and there are 1,800 T-shirts signed by Abreu for everyone who comes on that day. <laughs> great, great. It's, you did, you did. The name, the name of Jose Abreu's team is Happy Jack. So if you sign up before the day of Happy Jack 79, you're okay. sure to get a T-shirt. But I don't think they're running out. The AKA Omega Club came over this last weekend, rolled up all 1,800 shirts. So we'll be passing those out as quickly as we can. The only thing we really, really request is that you register. Okay. Registration is free, but capturing that information and getting a sign-off on the liability of walking on the trail on Allen Parkway is required. That's not our rule. That's like a city ordinance. So okay. we really need everyone to register. If you haven't registered by by Saturday, of course you can come early, seven thirty, okay. and register at the event. But um, it's going to be a lot of fun. We've got a lot. The U.S. Regional Director of Health and Human Services is going to be on program that morning. Uh, the mayor is not coming, unfortunately. He has another event same time. So get through with your walk really quick. Get mm-hmm. you some free stuff. Maybe a burrito from Uber Burrito who's coming with a food truck and then head on over to the walk to the mayor's event. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's, like I said, it's it's more than a walk. It's a walk and it's a lot of festivities and activities. We're passing out psych psychiatric aid awards so as soon as we come back from the walk we're going to highlight those hospitals they want to do a special honor because you know some of our nurses are unsung they do heroic things right there in the hospital and so we want to appreciate and love on a few of them but most and most of all it is the family it is those the people that are there that are impacted by mental illness they see this as a big hug by Mm -hmm. doctors um, advocates uh, hospitals, just police. Everyone is going to be out there. And so uh, we want everyone to join in and get one of those Happy Jack 
Signed Jose Abreu shirts. Wow. Oh, rain, rain, rain or shine. Rain man. or shine. So this is what happen. I'm saying. This is what I'm saying. Don't go to the beauty shop on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till after Saturday. Uh-huh. Whenever, whenever it has rained really for the last three years. And so it rains a little bit and then the sun comes out and then you dry off really quick. Right. And so, you know, Houston weather, you know, what can yeah. I say? If you don't like it, wait five minutes, it'll change. And so, and, and, and again, if you, right, if you come, like a mood, if you come in your own shirt though and get rained on, just get a Happy Jack 79 shirt. There we go. Covered. And, yes. and you got, you, we got you covered. Yes. And it starts at 8 a.m., correct? It, the walk actually launches at 8.30. That's the cutting of the ribbon. Okay. But the program does start at 8 o'clock. And okay. we want people to get registered. So if you've not registered before the day of, and it's a family event. So mm-hmm. every, all ages, the whole family can come. And there's a game that night. So if you want to, bring a picnic. Come for the walk. Head over to the mayor's event. Stay for a while. And then walk down to Minute Maid. All right. That is fun. Yeah. I'm going to try and make it for Saturday for sure. <laughs> and Thank we do have, uh, let's see, those outdoor people ask us about two things. Uh-huh. Where do you park? So most oh, yes. of the parking downtown, we have a reduced rate. So the larger, but if you go to our website, the parking information is there, but there are three or four garages that are that have given us a $5 rate for parking. And then the other thing is, what do I do if I have, have to go to the restroom? Well, we have a wonderful, let's see, Shep Boys is handling our our little outside uh, latrines, if you will. And there's uh, sinks and they're ADA approved, some of them. So, you know, we've got everything. We've got everything. Everything. We've got water. We've got everything covered. (laughs) (laughs) We've got Uber burrito. Listen, we got you covered. The front and the back food. Now, some of the food is like packaged. You know, we have oranges and bananas because it's a walk, right? Yes. So if somebody has a cramp or Charlie horse, we've got you covered there as well. But then Uber burrito is going to donate 20% of their proceeds back to NAMI Grady Houston. Oh, wow. And understand that the funds that are raised by this event, it goes to giving uh, us the ability to offer all of our programs and services at no cost to the people that we serve. We never charge a family for anything that we do, whether it's the launching a new support group or uh, trainings or classes or even the warm line. We've expanded now from two operators to four operators. And that is, we don't pass that cost. We absorb it. So this is how we're able to do that. Wow. That's amazing. It's a wonderful program that we have. Honestly, I don't know anyone else who does what we do. And what we do specifically is we walk the journey with families and individuals living with mental illness. So psychoeducation is first. Understand what you got and how does it affect you and what are you going to do about it? Where do you go? Who do you talk to? There's a whole host of providers. There are advocates. There are people who really care. And I think that's the that's the misinformation. Nobody cares about me. I'm suffering alone. Yes. No, there's tons of people looking for you. So we help provide that connection. And then you know how you go over to someone's house for Mother's Day or Father's Day or Easter or Thanksgiving and you tell those same stories of horror and terror all over and over and over again. Well, the family doesn't want to hear those, but NAMI does. So come to our support groups. We'll walk that journey. We'll help you, you know, get more hope and resilience in your own recovery journey. Yeah. And so that's what we're about. I have to say, like, I think it's been about a decade that I've always participated in the NAMI walk. Really? Yeah. I mean, I was in Boston previously, as I've mentioned That's earlier. That's a great walk, though. So it's a great walk. Um, but I think I, I just want to highlight one of the points you made in that even for us on the, the clinical side, there's many a times that prescribe, I said prescribing many things, right? Prescribing medicine, prescribing therapy, mm-hmm. but also it was groups. And I think the family support groups 
like when a parent is coming in and like we're saying, okay, this is what we think is going on with your kid and we're giving a diagnosis, I think there is a moment of shock and they don't hear anything else we say. No, it takes a while. It takes a while. And so that was another thing to, to send them to the, the website and then to support groups in the area. Um, and so as much as, you know, it's free, go and do it, but all the donations and everything, I think I, there's no better organization locally, but, you know, uh, now it has a you. national presence, right? And it's in almost every state. 30 years? Um, 34 years here in the greater Houston area. We started off just caring for the caregiver, parents of adults Mm -hmm. who are dealing with mental illness. But in the last five to 10 years, it's been a much higher focus on youth, children, even in elementary school, working with those parents so that they don't lose hope. Yeah. Or... Run, <laughs> hide, you know, so they actually address it. Most of the time, you know, if the clinician is saying you've got to set boundaries, you've got to set limits, you've got to let some things go, the parents come to us and they want to know how. Right. And so through our stories, through our experiences with an evidence based curriculum, we share the how. And I think that's the critical part that most families are looking for. Yeah. And then just other people that are going through this process, right? Like, the the mental health system is complicated. It is. Um, and scary. And it can scary. be scary. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I think we can appreciate that. And so they can hold their hand through that journey in ways that I think sometimes the clinicians just don't have the time and space to do, unfortunately. Um, mm-hmm. But that's our, the partner that can be really helpful in nar- navigating this really scary process. I right, think. right. And listen, this is proven. Peer-led help and support is proven. It's proven in the addiction community. Mm -hmm. It's proven in the cancer diagnosis Mm -hmm. and and sickle cell and other medical conditions. You have a peer that walks with that family. Transplants, things Mm -hmm. like that. You have peers Mm -hmm. that walk the journey. This is just another opportunity for peers to kind of find their people, Mm -hmm. find people who are non-critical, non-judgmental, and supportive to give them helpful, uh, informative, you know, solutions, been there, done that, and also a community, Mm -hmm. right? A social group. Mm -hmm. So this walk is a huge social opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so I remember one year we, we we actually canceled the walk because a few days before Allen Parkway had flooded and we didn't want and it was raining that weekend and we didn't want to create any undue anxiety on the people who were coming. <laughs> but then the sun came. It stormed forever that morning. But then the sun came out at 830. Do you know people still came? There were no barricades, but we could still see people on the sidelines walking for the walk. So and wearing their old Mm T-shirts. So we're not canceling. It's rain or shine. And uh, I can tell you just this morning I was at storage pulling all of the banners out. So we're going to honor our sponsors, our family uh, donors, the T-shirts this year. We have NAMI T-shirts again. And we also have Happy Jack 79 T-shirts, 1,800 of them. So please don't make us take back all those T-shirts to the office. It's not going to happen. Come, come get one and, and support Jose Abreu at that yes. game. There's a game that day at 4 o'clock. So. Great. Great. That's so great. I need to keep her coming. Up. I know. I wasn't going to miss it. I, we, were, we were celebrating Eid um, yeah. in a few celebrations. <laughs> and I'm like, wouldn't it be a cute idea if you just came? Like, what? It just and jumped I'm like, in. Busy. Yeah. I, I love that you did that. I know. I know. I know. I've been in I a love hot. You as a human. No, no. Oh, oh, same here. Same here. I, I tell her there's no one who better supports Nami on social media than Matab. Yeah. Every time. <laughs> Every time I read something, I go to look to see where it came from. Oh, that's my top. Oh, that's my top. Oh, that's it. And I'm about to say, this is social media contractor. What are you doing? My top is just dancing circles around me. But, uh... Uh-oh. I don't 
It's a good thing. But if I get excited about something, it's it becomes me. It becomes who you are. It becomes who you are. But you know, the tragedy tragedy is this as much as we talk about it, there are still people sitting at home listening at home and they think that they're alone. They feel that they are isolated. I'm saying anonymously, just pick up the phone and call the NAMI office. Everyone that answers our phone is either a peer in recovery or a family member of someone who's in recovery. Imagine that. There is nothing, there's no story that you could tell that does not resonate with someone who is answering the phone at the NAMI office. And if no one answers, because I've noticed now that we've been on the phone and the phone is still ringing, then leave a message and someone will call you back. But those who are answering the phones, and I just got two new interns today, they started today, they are all living with lived experience. And so that should... That should bring comfort to those. Many times people call and we ask them, what do they need? What do they want? They don't know. And so now we ask, so just tell us what's going on. And that's a better way to get to what they need and what they want. So we know that a diagnosis is really where it starts. So we have to help people navigate those waters and Such figure a out. You have your label, and then you can go and find your yes. toolbox and your support, and then your therapist can be your navigation. <laughs> so downtown Houston, 1000 Bagby is where the walk is going to be on Saturday at 8 o'clock. But let me tell you, 45 will get you there, 59 will get you there, mm. 288. I don't know, 610 will take you dancing around and around. But my point is, it's the same way with a mental health uh, diagnosis. Just because you have a diagnosis doesn't mean one freeway is going to get you to the recovery that you're looking for. So understand that what NAMI does is give you all of the options in bite-sized pieces. We read to you. You don't even have to read yourself. And we support you while you make your mind up. And you don't have to know everything all at once. And nobody can blame you for stuff that no one ever told you. So we remove all of the blame, shame, and guilt. And we just sit with people until they kind of figure out where they want to start and what they're willing to do to get better. So that's that's our role. There's no real scientific way to this. It's just don't give up. Don't stop reaching out for help. And, you know, call NAMI. And if you don't call NAMI, call 988. Yes. We have a new number now, mm-hmm. not nine one one. It was that if you had a mental health crisis, you just call nine one one. But nine eight eight, either by phone call or by text, you can let someone know. Listen, there is a mental health problem, and I don't know where to start. Or a substance problem. That's another. Mm-hmm. Sure, mm-hmm. or a substance yeah, problem. Our kiddos are dealing with a lot of substance issues. It's sort of like the the horse and the cart. What came first? Sometimes people will experiment with a certain type of substance, and it can trigger maybe an underlying predisposition for a mental health problem. You know, you wouldn't have had it had you not. You know, no blame there, but still, we have to address it, right? right? And then, and then, and then, sometimes people are dealing with anxiety or phobias, or even hearing voices, and they will take a medication to try to control it. And mask it. So either whether no matter what came first, the chicken or the egg, nine eight eight is still there to help. Yeah. You know, and direct and at least point you in the right direction. And what I'm learning is that a lot of young people are using it because of the text feature. You can just text your story rather than call someone. So that reduces anxiety when you can put that layer of distance between getting you know, someone live on the phone. Right. And so anyway, 988. If you can't call Nami, call 988. 
<laughs> and just remember that 988 is national. So yes. every state is doing that. It rolled out um, a couple, July, I think, of last year. Of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so every state, so no matter where you are, um, that you can call 988 and get the help you need. I want to touch upon, though, one thing you mentioned about, you know, different roads, 610, 49, I-10, um, a really great metaphor but also not to give up after the first person you see. Sometimes sure. that um, first person you see may not have all the information in front of them, may provide a diagnosis that seems scary. Um, maybe they didn't go about it the right way. Maybe it didn't feel like someone that was compatible with you. Um, and all of those things can happen. And it just means you just need to find the person that resonates with you and your experience and what you need. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, don't give up. Um, I think that mental health is just such a intimate experience in a way. I, I mentioned when we first started that we, we're expecting you to sort of tell your story. You may not want to tell your story to the may person not. in front of you because of something yes. they did or how they mm-hmm. appear or what they said to you. And it may feel really scary in that moment. And you finish that hour with them and you're like, I'm never going back. I don't want to go back to this person. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And like, and I just want to reiterate that that is okay. That is okay. Or sometimes you may look like the person that yeah. was in their trauma story. And it's, it's, it has nothing to do with what kind of clinician you are, but yeah. just you, the way you look, your demeanor. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think even when you talk about, you know, the shame, guilt, taking that away, um, I've in my experience with especially teens, uh, sometimes I became that anchor adult for them. So part of the process of therapy was that they didn't want to let me down and I'm like sweetie you got to you got to get real with me mm-hmm. I signed up for this so we complete this journey and you don't need to be worried about whether I like you or if you had codes this weekend I mean I I signed up for this with you sure so having you know coming at it from multiple angles I think you're going to catch it whether it's a psychiatrist that just has a very meaningful talk about medication management and self-regulation or someone in a support group mm-hmm. that, you know, look like them, walk like them and went through the same journey mm-hmm. and is like five years ahead of it and is mentoring other people. Like if we come at it from multiple angles, we're going right. to make an impact. Right. Yeah. We're so blessed. I mean, we have... NAMI, an organization, and then we have doctors, psychiatrists like Dr. Durham. You know, this. we live in such a great country where there is so much help, so many resources available. It's, I mean, we're truly blessed. And I think, like, we have to encourage people. And uh, we've talked so much about, you know, breaking that stigma and that fear, uh, especially in our, you know, our community, our culture as such. And uh, the more I feel like the more we um, talk about it gets easier. People who are listening like for, uh, you know, today and they must be like, okay, it's it's a normal thing. It's not something bad. It's something to be shameful about. So it's, um, I'm, I'm so... So grateful. I'm just. <laughs> well, thank you for having <laughs> us. Yes, for opening up this avenue for us to talk. Yeah, and, and we, you know, we are touching on so many things. It's, uh, there's so much to cover. Each time we come here, there's more and more. It's not just one thing, right? There's everything, right. but it just, it is related to uh, mental, uh, mental health. So, yeah, so that's just so wonderful. <laughs> well, thank you. Mata brought some cream. And <laughs> this is so funny. It's healing. 
I was telling Tell the about, story again. <laughs> about this, um, this kid who was court appointed when I worked at inpatient. And we typically had them for 18 months. And we had a built-in school in our hospital. And so I was assigned to him. And whenever he would have psychotic episodes, because when you deal with schizoaffective or schizophrenia, you sometimes your medication needs to be tweaked, mm-hmm. and it, it won't work for you the same way. And uh, when he was going through a psychotic episode, I just worked on like grounding techniques, and I was a safe yeah. person for him because I kind of became his maternal figure. So I would just like make tea for him and not realizing I've always, I always had lotion on my desk. And when he was graduating with his diploma, um, I said, well, you know, it's been a journey. And of course I was like boohoo crying because I'm like, this kid had no mother, no father. And now we're going to release him to the world. And um, so I got quite attached mm-hmm. and, um, I said, well, what, what do you think we should do? Should we go have a lunch together? How are we going to transition this awesome story that we ha- shared together? And there's about this much of my lotion left. And he's like, I think I want to take this with me. Because whenever I felt bad, I'd come in here, you make me tea, you've got candy and chocolate, and I put this on. So this smell mm-hmm. has become very meaningful for me so but at the last episode we did we talked about it and somehow I went like 12 years back to this lotion this morning I went to my Starbucks and I look over and I never noticed the bath and body and I'm like I googled what time they open I said I'm supposed to go do this so I brought you guys some lotion. Oh, <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. It's sort of a grounding. Your yeah. olfactory memory is so yeah. strong. You know, for some people it's auditory, but olfactory yeah. is another big trigger. People get attached to me with my perfume, my my other lotion, and this one. I'm like, for me it was the same. The smell of um, certain teas cherry blossoms get me. And I grew up in northern Iran, so cherry blossoms are okay. a very special thing because... During spring, mm. our entire village was full of cherry blossoms. Oh. So that's what attracted me to go buy this in the first place. Wow. The and for him, it'll, he'll never forget it. Yeah. He'll never forget the it. childhood. So Michelle, special. like, she's going to be here every week for the next. <laughs> <laughs> we still have a lot to cover. <laughs> I know. We skimmed the surface. Yeah. Like, you really yes. did. Clear Michelle's schedule. <laughs> But when I walked in, you were talking about medication, and that is the number one fear of parents with smaller children. Mm -hmm. They're so afraid of doing something wrong or that will irreparably harm Mm -hmm. their child's brain. And and I was one of those parents, by the way, and I was very reluctant with ADHD meds. And and then when I finally did it, it it did have an adverse effect, and he had to take another med. And and that that was just the normal thing. But what, what really stabilized me, so NAMI is not the only rodeo. I tell people, I, I used to say this all the time, I don't anymore, they're, they're adults and I don't have the same challenges. But when they were younger, it took 12 organizations for me to work <laughs> because I needed the support of all of those different yeah. organizations. NAMI is sort of like a clearinghouse. We It doesn't matter what the diagnosis is because we don't deal with the diagnosis actually. We deal with all of the issues related to caregiving, right? But 
Um, there's CHAD, which is a, a, a state ADHD program. There's ADA SR, which we're in the South region, so Attention Deficit Association, um, that's local ADA SR, uh, family to family network. But what I'm, what I'm doing though is, is, is trying to highlight the fact that there's so much you don't know. And the only thing that dispels fear is education. There's really nothing else. Yeah. Um, understanding, having a thorough understanding. I'm not saying you have to have a PhD in child psychology, although you feel like it after 20 years but you don't have to have that what you have to have is just what you need in the moment and I found that these other organizations that were specific to the diagnosis so you have depression and bipolar disorder with Remind you have Add a family to family network with autism and Asperger's but you have all of these local SARTA for schizophrenia and related disorders mm-hmm. all of these local organizations right here in Houston I mean, we are rich with nonprofit community-based organizations that are committed to helping you find the right specialist or researcher or new therapy to give you that information. I even found a new one that was not around when my kiddos were small called biogenetics. And they do a test to see how different drugs, NSSRIs, are actually um, metabolized in your body, right? Um so I'm just saying there's just more information out there. No one's paying me. I'm not. This is not a commercial. <laughs> but I'm just saying that information is key right. and becoming educated and things that impact whatever diagnosis an adult or child is dealing with. Sometimes it's a spouse. So you just want to know. Right. What's what's out there? And there are conferences that are local. Learning in the brain is one that I would attend often. So it's just it's just about getting yourself education edu- educated to reduce the fear. All right, love it. My, it's time. <laughs> we could have gone on for another. Hour. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Thank you so much.